I started out in Second Peter, and uh, we did chapter one, and then a couple weeks later, so did chapter two, and I'm just kind of following along with that uh, here this morning to do chapter three of Second Peter, and um, so I guess what I had to do, because maybe not all of you were there for all these Wednesdays I'm talking about, I was just going to maybe do a little summary review of um, the book of Second Peter. In chapter 1, Peter the Apostle, an apostle is not only an eyewitness um, of the things of the Lord, but also one that he sent out and to go into all the world and uh, all the nations and teach what Jesus had commanded him. And uh, he, he had written it to, in verse 1 of chapter 1, uh, he wrote this to those who obtained like precious faith. And so uh, writing to us who have that like precious faith, and um, that's his audience. Those are the recipients of his letter here. He's encouraging diligence in chapter 1 to add to our faith. Uh, the faith was a gift. You know, the Lord gave us our faith. He's the one that uh, uh, we give the glory to and uh, for, for calling us to himself and drawing us to, to himself. And um, so he, added, he, he encourages us in diligence in chapter 1 to add to our faith virtue, knowledge, Self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And with this, to bear fruit. He talks about that, uh, you know, in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we, we need to add. You know, we get saved and we know, we repent. We, we know to be virtuous. We know to begin to pursue that. And uh, we also need to pursue knowledge. Not, not a, a carnal knowledge, a worldly thing, but a knowledge of God's word, a knowledge of him. And we pray and that's our side of the conversation. But reading the Word and getting into studying God's Word, listening to studies, uh, doing our own digging, maybe getting a Strong's Concordance or a Vines Dictionary, and we do our own digging, and we then um, begin to uh, respond and hear what he says, his response. We pray, he answers us back by his Word. And so uh, we need to bear fruit in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Peter says in chapter 1. To make our calling and election sure is something that we're to be diligent in. He reminds them of these things, knowing that his time was short. In uh, chapter 1, he uh, talks about that um, he knows his time is short, and the reason he's writing this is because to remind them because his time is short. And as he commends the apostles' testimonies in chapter 1, confirms the words of the prophets and scriptures. And we'll find a little bit of a theme I was going to mention a few times as we go through this and maybe look a few verses up. The New Testament is also God's word. Now, we know that, but there are times when we would have to you know, present that to someone. Why is the New Testament the word of God? How do we know it's not just the Old Testament? And in light of that, it's true that you should be able to preach the gospel from the Old Testament, just like Paul did, just like Timothy did and was taught to do. And so... Um, so he commends the apostles' testimonies and confirms the word of the prophets and scriptures. You know, um, just in, in light of that, you know, for the pro- no prophecy, well, here, let me start over. In uh, knowing this first, that no prophet or prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Well, then he goes right into chapter 2, which is the next, uh, in summary, what chapter 2 is all about. Not only that, but there were also back then, in the, at the time of the prophets, false prophets at that time. And he goes on to say, for our time, 
there are also going to be false teachers. And he literally says, among us. And we talked about that a few weeks back. But, um, you know, what do you know about these guys? Well, they even deny the Lord Jesus Christ who bought them. And, and so there will be false teachers. And we went into that. And, you know, he also goes on immediately to say their judgment and destruction is, is uh, eminent. You know, the Lord's going to deal with that. He is going to take them to uh, judgment and all, reminding us about the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, God does judge. God did bring a flood. God, God, uh, God does judge. He did take out Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, so reminding that these guys, these false prophets, these false teachers, God will deal with them. But he also, how he saved Noah and Lot, you know, saved Noah out of that flood, saved Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he used the example in chapter two, you know, we know by this that he is able to save the godly out of temptation and reserve these unjust, you know, under punishment until the judgment. And he basically then, after the body of chapter 2, is to go on and describe the character of these false teachers and to describe the tactics that these false teachers use. And, um, you know, basically uh, ending up that it's happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. So that's kind of our summary, a little bit, of of chapters 1 and 2 and Second Peter kind of busting into it here with you guys brand new uh, book here that uh, Dwight's been in John but um, I'm just carrying on where I was carrying on with with Second Peter so uh, you should please uh, if you're interested and in, in, uh, to get that background to go ahead this afternoon or sometime this week just read Second um, Peter's uh, chapters 1 and 2 and if you'd like even First Peter and and uh, get yourself familiar. And I kind of, you know, verse 1, I guess what we should do, let's just go ahead and read through uh, chapter 3. If you read along with me, it's, uh, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of water and in water, and by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all, should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will burn up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God? Because 
which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, look forward to these things. Be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written you, as also in all of his epistles, speaking of them things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. You, therefore, since you know this beforehand, Beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior, Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. And we say, Amen. And now let's go back and look at what you just said Amen to. All right. Um, Verse 1 states plainly why he wrote both epistles, really. Uh, it says, uh, I write now you the second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds. It's to be a reminder, to be an awaking, wake up, and uh, to be a reminder. And a couple of weeks back at men's prayer meeting, I was, I'm struggling. There's times when I just cannot remember the things I want to remember. I just prayed and asked the guys to pray, you know, I need to, I need to start being able to remember things better. And it got me thinking and it got me kind of, um, you know, wishing that I could remember more, I kind of thought, well, let's let's see what it is we do need to be reminded of. Because we do. We need to be reminded that he loves us. We need to be reminded that he saved us and hears us when we pray. And, and he provides for us. He works through us and in us his good will, that which he actually prepared before the foundation of the world for us to walk in. That's how he is, uh, we need to be reminded of these things. You know, he's going to deal with a Christ-rejecting world. He is going to judge. Uh, and the false teachers that he talks about. It's when we forget these things that we become anxious, become fearful, we start to worry. You know, we strive and start to operate in our own strength. We lose our peace. We become unthankful. We become ungrateful. And uh, we start to get impatience impatient we start to lose our our uh we become ungracious and unmerciful to those around us and to others and you know forgetting how gracious and merciful that he is with us you know so we need we do need to be reminded we do need to be kept in remembrance best way to do that is have your own time in the word with the lord every day a little bit of manna a little bit of food every day spiritual food david talked about you know, getting into his word and seeking him in his word for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner, morning, noon, and night. And um, so I tend to be a little forgetful and, and a little slower in processing things. And, you know, so I thought I'd look through some scriptures and look up some things. And going back to uh, just look up the word remember, remembrance. Now there's going to be a ton of them, but you can pick them, the ones that, you know, bless you uh, as you search that, maybe with your computer or whatever. But Genesis 8 and 9 when God judged the world with the great flood after 150 days, it says he remembered Noah. And, you know, it's not that Noah was lost and God lost him. You know, where would I put Noah there for a minute? You know, uh, God created everything, gives us our breath, gives us our life, holds everything together. He, he, he knew where Noah was all along, but it's almost as if, you know, he actually uh, 
same with Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, he remembered Abraham and his covenant and saved Lot. And it and, uh, seems like when he brings his judgment like that, he, he tucks the guys behind him a little bit. And then he's doing, you know, the flood. He's doing Sodom and Gomorrah and, and bringing that, what he brings, and his wrath is being poured out. But he doesn't forget about him. But then he brings him back around. He remembers. And uh, he actually made a covenant to remember this flood with, with a rainbow. You know, so when he brings a cloud, he'd put a rainbow in it. And it says he would remember his covenant with the, the flood and not to flood the earth again. And uh, we think of it all the time. You know, we see a rainbow, kids. You know, that's the Lord. He promised never to bring a flood again. And every time there's a rainbow. And I can make a rainbow with the hose in the backyard. You can get it the sun just right. and you can. But uh, it, it's, it's God's rainbow. He put that there. He remembers that. He sees that. And uh, yes, it's a good thing for us to see as well. And you know, don't let anybody steal the rainbow from you. That's God's. You know, they can take the many colors and try and make a flag out of it and do what they want to say about it. But truth is, this is God's. It's his blessing. It's his promise. And uh, so God remembered Rachel in Genesis 30 after being barren. All the while her sister was able to have children with Jacob. She was being patient. She was hanging in there. Um, and he finally hearkened to her cries, and he remembered her. And not that he forgot her, but uh, he was, she was going through what she had to go through. And he remembered her and took away her barrenness. In Exodus 2 uh, through 6, God remembers his covenant to Abraham. Again, while the Israelites suffered all the while in bondage, and, in, and while in Egypt, and brought them out, brought them through the desert, brought them into Israel. That was his covenant. That was his promise. In Leve, uh, Leviticus... Um, 26, God again declares that he will always remember his promise to Abraham. And it says there, and the land also, even after they had forsaken him. And we got to remember that that is a big part of why prophecy is fulfilled and that we know, and we'll get to this a little later, why we're living in the last days. It's not necessarily only, it is, but not necessarily only about Israel, the people, the Jewish people the nation Israel. It's also about the land. That's his place. That's where he makes his dwelling in Mount Zion. And there's significance to that. The land is his. And he's going to do with that. You know, people can say what they want to pay, say, but uh, that land belongs to Israel. And, you know, though it's a little, small little piece of property and seems like it's intruded and divided and all that, it is, is still his land. You know, man often forgets when you start doing this study, you realize, gee, in, in Genesis 40, here's Joseph in prison and um, in prison with the butler and the baker. And, you know, he, he interprets their dreams and the, the butler gets out and he's, he's hanging with Pharaoh and, and for all about Joseph. You know, remember when you get out, will you? Well, it took until a few years later that Pharaoh has a dream and now all of a sudden, oh, I knew this guy. And so man tends to forget as well. We forget stuff. And like the Israelites, we often forget. And we think, you know, life was a little easier, a little better back before I got saved. You know, maybe I could, you know, you know, just like the, the Israelites. We had onions. We had leeks. Can't we go back? He brought us out in the desert to die. And they forget that they were slaves, that they were in bondage. And so God, you know, remembers um, his covenant with Israel in, in Hebrews uh, 8 and 10, there's a real blessed aspect. God's new covenant with Israel. 
that he will write his word on their heart and remember their sins no more. And that is, and, and their iniquities no more. I like that. I need that. I need to know that I'm not going to have these things thrown up in my face. And I need to know that, you know, we reap what we sow in this life. And, and we do fail as believers sometimes. And the uh, Lord picks us up and dusts us off. What does it say about that? He will remember that no more. And um, it's time, there's times I wonder, why is it I have to get that warfare from the enemy that I have to remember what it is, but he doesn't. You know, that's a blessing too as well to know that uh, I can put it aside, forget about it, because I know that he has. And he's who I give account to and who I walk before and answer to. And in Psalm 103, the same thing, same idea. God's promise to those that fear him to cast their transgressions as far as the east is from the west. And that is eternity because you can go north and south, you'll end up going south again. But when you go east to west, it just keeps going straight line. And um, so verse 2, um, getting on to you know, why he wrote this as well. You know, I write this to you in, in verse 1, number 2, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Now, this is very significant because, like I said earlier, oftentimes you'll be told that, well, you know, the Old Testament, yeah, you know, we can do that. The New Testament, eh, you know, we don't know if everything that happened is true. We don't know if uh, this really actually happened or maybe they were making it up. I don't know. Um, well, it says here, plain as day, that uh, that the, the New Testament, the Holy Prophets, the word which were spoken, be mindful of, and of the commandment of us, not the ideas, not the opinions, not the commentary, the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. And, and so, as Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, Profitable for doctrine, reproof, and for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, Timothy, uh, he was Paul's, you know, you know, prodigy. And so he passed on. In fact, when he writes to Timothy two books, you know, all the things necessary to establish the church, you know, what to do with pastors and elders and the men and the women and, and everything that uh, you can find, you know, how to act, how to behave before the government, how to deal with with uh, the odds and ends of the church and, and ministry. And, and so these are things that now getting on already after this, um, telling Timothy all scripture is, is inspired by God. And now Peter declares that the apostles' commands are also God's word. Well, how can he do that? Let's go back to Matthew 28. So this is obviously now the last few verses of Matthew. Um, and Jesus came and spoke to them, talking to his disciples. In fact, then the 11 disciples back in 16 went away into Galilee, into the mountain. But he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. In verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We get two things out of that. First of all, what are, the, what are these letters, these epistles, the, what are the apostles saying? They're saying what Jesus commanded them, all things. So we know that this word, 
these books, uh, uh, the book of Acts through Revelation, and, and also the testimony of the Gospels, uh, written by the apostles, is in fact the word of God, the word of, from Jesus, his commandments. And then also, you know, it says he's going with them, lo, till they die, until the letter gets lost somewhere in the, in the you know, valley somewhere. On the horse, you know, didn't get to the next town, and so the letter never made it. Well, no, it made it to the end of the age. This word that we have to, the, to this day, the Lord has saw fit and has been um, faithful to see to it that it got to us in its entirety. And, you know, again, if, if uh, you have a son or a daughter and you tell them some things and you tell them how much you love them and tell them what they need to know, and some other guy comes in there and says, hey, you don't need to listen to your dad. Maybe he really meant this, you know, and, and they get older and they start listening to these people, right? Um, but what's the truth about God? We are his kids. How faithful is he, almighty God, going to be to see to it that we still have his word for us? I don't depend on any of the scholars and what they're saying as far as how we know we got the right canon of scripture. I depend on God's faithfulness to know that I've got the scriptures. And, um, and from these and these alone, we can tell what's true and what's false. We don't need any more, and to, not to step on any toes, we don't need the Apocrypha. We don't need secular history, really. It's not really that significant. It may help lend a under, little understanding from time to time, but beyond that. And so Jesus declares he is with them as they would make disciples and teach what he has commanded them. Same thing in Second Peter. Go back to Second Peter um, chapter 1, verse 16 through 21. How is it? We know we're dealing with the right message. 16 through 21, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven and, and we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And uh, John, if you flip over two pages to First John, first uh, four verses is a second witness for you that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life the life was manifested we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the father and is manifested to us that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So we know we have the hand, uh, the, the word of God in our hands. And um, I would have to go back and just make mention here, um, you know, verse 2 is a, is a key verse that you can maybe rest on and, and you can use, um, keep it close, keep it maybe memorized. 
the life was manifest, you know, the word of life. And we have seen, we bear witness, we declare that eternal life, Jesus was eternal life with the Father, which was with the Father and manifested to us for the Mormons, for the Jehovah's Witnesses, for the Apostolic Truth Church that say Jesus only, and for the, the Jesus only Pentecostals. Say they're Christians, all of them do. And, you know, say they you know, love Jesus, they say they have the word, they say all the things they want to say, but they won't say that Jesus was with the Father from all eternity. They're going to say, no, he, he kind of came along later. Or they'll say Jesus only, you know, it's the, there was no Father, the Holy Spirit, it's just all Jesus, and he was there manifested here then. And, well, here it says with the Father. So you can keep this verse, tuck it away, and uh, it's good for defending the gospel. So um, the word beloved shows up in Second Peter uh, sec- six times. Um, five times in chapter three and uh, four of it has to do with the recipients and four and one time has to do with uh, referring to Paul, beloved brother Paul. And so I thought it would be kind of an easy way to section this book into a few different uh, compartments or, or parts here and just go through the beloveds and the things that are said. You know, beloved, number one, scoffers will come, but judgment day is coming. Beloved number two is don't forget God is patient. And beloved number three, you know, uh, be diligent. And then beloved number four, beware. Uh, we're going to go through those, um, but I came up short of time for service, so we're going to do the first two. And that way next week when we do first and second service, you're not ahead. Otherwise you could stay home, I suppose. But... Um, <laughs> Anyway, um, beloved number one, first of all, in verse, reading through verses three through seven, scoffers are going to come, but judgment day is coming. So chapter three, verse three, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And for this, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, and by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment in a perdition of ungodly men. So we're talking about scoffers and mockers. He didn't say that you might bump into them somewhere down the road, or maybe you'll read about them someplace. He didn't say that they might come in your time or maybe, you know, they'll be around. They said they will, he said they will come. You can expect this. You know, same as false teachers will come, shall come, it says in chapter 2. It should not surprise us that people are going to scoff and people are going to be trying to deceive. And we have the truth. We're in this world. Um, you know, and then it shouldn't surprise you when, uh, he says, though, in the last days, so how are we going to know when the last days are? In Matthew 24, 3 through 35, tells the parable of the fig tree. And, you know, rather than going there, we've, Dwight's taught that many times. Um, it would be good if you haven't been here for that, that you check it out. But um, basically, the fig tree is a type of Israel throughout scriptures. 
And Wednesday nights we're going through Joel, and the fig tree is completely decimated by the locusts. And the Lord uh, talks about that. We'll be spending time there a little bit here on Wednesday nights. But uh, we can know by what we see that happened May 14th, 1948, um, a one-day event. It took one day for this nation to be born. And Dwight just talked about this last Sunday, so I don't need to belabor but it's uh, uh, clearly a sign, it's an it's a obvious sign that these are the last days. You can add to that many things. You know, the fact that technology has gone from, in the last 35, 40 years, has gone from, you know, baseball or football fields-sized computers to one that you can, you know, fit on a piece of dust. And, and that can send out a signal that gets read and picked up. And so... Things are going, even the world knows. Um, but truth of it is, these scoffers, these mockers, you know them, you've heard them, you've seen them. Comedians, musicians, actors, you know, news commentators, college professors, you know, school teachers, kindergarten teachers. You know, uh, scoffing, mocking, teaching in charge of our kids, mocking the things of God, mocking the fact that that there will be a result of your sin you know um, Christians even and those that even claim to be Christians and those that claim to be pastors even they're going to deny the flood they're going to deny the deluge they're going to say well maybe it was just localized because it doesn't make sense we got all these scientists saying that that this wasn't really fit in that scenario or maybe you know uh, there wasn't water above the firmament and and below the firmament maybe there was just a you know we developed and dust settled and it took a million years maybe there's these pastors there are that believe in a gap theory a day is a day now the day of the lord is a period of time but that's the day of the lord and there's a lot about that but in genesis a day is a day it doesn't say a day in a million years gap and then a, this all happened something that we'll look at a little later is light and how long it takes light to get from a star to here. Well, God can handle that. Um, but the question is, why do these guys bother to scoff? Why do they bother to mock? Why are they out there? Why are they so prevalent? Well, it's because, you know, we remind them by our lives and by our message and the things we say and trying to reach out to them, you know, that sin will be judged, right? He's talking about the judgment, the flood. He's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Bring up Sodom and Gomorrah next to one of those, you know, multicolored rainbows someday, you know, flags, and see how that goes. You know, they need to know, but they will mock. They will scoff. And and we do need to get the gospel out there. So why? Well, because, you know, we remind them that there is sin, and it will be judged. And sinners like us, and sinners like them, we need a savior. You know, we, we need to be saved from that judgment. And we are saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, where your love ran red, my sins washed white, I owe all to you. So the thing of it is, it has to include repentance. If you know that's that it, it, they wouldn't scoff. If it was just a social gospel where we just need to help out, make sure everybody's got food, everybody's got medical insurance, everybody's got the best of this, that's not what's necessary. 
What's necessary is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But they would rather walk by their own lust. And so even Jude, if you want to flip a couple page back over to Jude 16 and 18, uh, we've got to go past John a little bit, and Second John and Third John. He, he, again, another beloved, same audience, talking about these uh, scoffers. You know, they're grumblers, they're complainers, walking according to their own lusts. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, a testimony, another confirmation of the apostles' writings in the New Testament being the true word of God. And how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. And goes on to describe how to build ourselves up in our own faith. So what kind of stuff are they going to say? Well, where's this coming? You know? You guys have been talking about Jesus coming for 100 years now, and what? Nothing. You know, we're seeing this uh, world getting better. We got just about got it to the point where we can solve all the world's problems ourselves. We just got to get rid of all the nukes, get rid of all the cars, get rid of all the planes, and plant trees. And this world's going to carry on for who knows how long, as long as we do that. You know, and they will even tell us we need to be ashamed of ourselves if we're not. You probably all saw that. Um, we should be ashamed. Well, why are they saying that? You know, uh, didn't he say he was coming back? It's funny because I don't know if you guys all remember this. Um, I got saved back in '81, uh, and a few years later, you know, and we we're we we're just counting on the Lord coming the very next day. You know, everything from the time we got was the, the rapture could happen at any time, and it's like that's a big surprise when you haven't thought about it your whole life. Any day could come today. Praise the Lord. Here's hoping. Nevertheless, they're, they're, this guy came out with a book back in 1988. And uh, some of you probably already know what I'm talking about. But uh, it was called 88 Reasons Why the Lord's Got to Come Back in 1988. Now, we all know that nobody knows the day or the hour. But we were into this. I mean, we I, I was. You know, it's like, maybe, maybe not. I'm not going to name a date. I'm not going to set a time. But it's like you're so hungry for the Lord to come back. You know, Maranatha, Lord Jesus. And, and uh, we were like that every day and still are, to be honest with you. Um, but this guy wrote a book and we thought, you know, maybe. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. It was, it, was, it was just setting dates and that was what was wrong with it. He took numerology and some things. And kind of like the blood moon thing where, you know, there it is. And there's the next one. And it lines up and it could be this. Uh, so you'd say, well, let's watch and see once. Maybe, maybe not. Well, anyway, so I'm at that time working in construction, and I'm, I'm out uh, on a roof uh, down in Nina, and um, the, the date comes around, and it was supposed to happen at noon central time. Don't ask me how that figures. But uh, anyway, so I'm starting getting at noon, and you know, I'm thinking we're going to lunch, and I'm just starting to, Lord, crack that sky. You know, I just wanted to go home. And, uh, and these guys, I'd been sharing with these guys for last five years, uh, you know, trying to win them over and all that, and they're all just kind of looking at, there goes Tim. Yeah, he's, he's lost it now. And I can only imagine what they were thinking, but noon came, noon went, nothing happened. Go home. All right, I guess not. Doesn't mean we lose hope. Doesn't mean we give up. 
doesn't mean any of this is untrue. It means that book was untrue. 88 reasons. You know, blood moons came, blood moons went. Nothing happened. So we, uh, we know that that's what they're going to say. They're going to say, why hasn't he come yet? And they're also going to say, everything just keeps on going like it was. Uh, just from the beginning, ever since creation, or maybe some of them are saying ever since we crawled out of the ooze like a tadpole, and, and here we are uh, evolved now and down the line. But what does Peter say here is the truth about these guys? They willfully forget what? By the word of God. They willfully forget God's word. Um, God wrote his word on the hearts of men. Romans says that even without a Bible, creation testifies. And the things that God has made, men knows that there's a God. And so they willfully forget that. And, and he then basically talks about it in the waters. And so just for posterity's sake, for your own remembrance sake, and for something to print on your mind, let's read Genesis uh, chapters, chapter 1, uh, just verses 1 through 10. And we'll read that account. And if we can get past, you know, verse 1, um, that really, if you can get past that, believing that, the rest is all easy. If God created everything, right, then uh, he has no problem doing the rest of this. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day, evening and morning, same as the rest of them. Now, it's interesting. I, I kind of didn't know if I was going to do this or not, but I didn't write anything down on this. But light is interesting because you... God is light, right? He's the one that uh, lights up New Jerusalem, right? The glory of his appearing is the, the glory of God lights it, and, and the lamb, they light. We don't need electricity. We don't need we energies. We don't need a coal or generator. We have, we have the lamb of God lighting up the city. And uh, so, but he created light first, and then he created the light bearers, right? The, and, and separated things out, created the sun, Light was there first, but he created it. It's not the same light that he is, because that light, we can measure, right? It's just wavelengths. I can, I can decide different measurements by holding the prism up, and you get the different colors. Those are different measurements of light, different wavelengths, right? You can measure light. You can bend it. You can, uh, uh, with science, you can determine how many light years away something is. So that is something that's measurable. God is not measurable. So the light we have in our universe that we're seeing right now that is something that he created. And so how hard it would it be, let's say the light was all there first, then all of a sudden the star is how many light years away, and here we are on earth, and they saw it immediately. Well, wouldn't it be that difficult for him to take those wavelengths that were everywhere and just turn them and point them so that now this light bearer is now coming? Light was there first, all the way from here, all the way to those stars and beyond, to the, to the you know, universe every time they point the... the super telescopes to a dark place thinking, okay, we're going to see the edge. There'll be a little sign out there that says end or something. There's more stars. There's more. They just can't find a spot that doesn't have more behind it. And on the other end of the scale, 
you can take the Hadron Collider and you can collide this atom and get down to this boson and you can see that, that little particle. And they did that and it was going to be the God particle but then two little particles came off it. They don't know what those are. Something smaller yet than what they thought that there was. And so it's a, uh, the, you know, the Lord sits in heaven and scoffs. You know, we have our, our um, limitations as human beings. Um, but he also grants us the wisdom and the knowledge. And we do, there is a good science. And I'm not going to be qualified to go into all that. There's, there's guys that we've had speak there at the men's uh, stake and study. We had Jay um, Seeger. And so there's many uh, that the... In fact, I would encourage you. I have not gone, I hope to someday, to that uh, uh, trip in the Grand Canyon where they can basically take you through the strata and show you exactly that there's no other explanation than a great flood. Um, But anyways, I digress. Verse 6, Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament and the waters which were above the firmament, and so it was. And God called the firmament heaven. So the heaven and the morning, or the evening and the morning were the second day, another just single day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and gathering uh, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. If you can handle verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. You can handle anything else in this universe that he can handle. And you know, he holds together all things by his word. Scientists will tell you about an atom, the nucleus, and the protons and neutrons. And uh, you know, they don't know why they don't fly apart. They've, they've managed to, to send one into another, split it, and they've managed to, you know, cause major destruction. What's scary is these guys were sitting around the night before they put off that first bomb and they didn't know how far it was going to go. They thought this could literally incinerate the atmosphere. They didn't know how long that chain reaction was going to go if it was going to get up in, in, in the atmosphere and just keep going. Boy, what a bunch of you know guys that thought that they were God, eh? That they could still set it off the next day not even knowing what it was going to do. So anyways, back to um, uh what else does Peter say about these guys? Well, they willfully forget creation. And they also forget the word perished by water. And in Genesis 6 and 8, we get the, the, uh, the flood, the great flood. And so in Genesis 7, you can read it um, for lack of time. I'm not going to go there now. But it basically uh, describes how it did cover all of the earth. And it did go above the highest mountain. It wasn't a local little flood that had explanations. It says the breath of every living creature was taken. And uh, nothing left but the fishies. Even the birds of the air, they had nowhere to go. They ended up perishing as well. The only survivors were Noah, his crew, and his cargo. And um, so we know that that's true. So they also forget that the world perished. And why is Peter saying that? You know, it's because... This did happen, and it happened by God's word. And by God's word, the heavens and the earth are now being preserved for judgment by fire. And so they're not wanting to hear, right? They don't like us. They want to scoff at us because we testify that we need a Savior. We're sinners just like they are. Our testimony should not be 
we're holier than you. If it is, then, you know, rethink it. Because truth of it is, there's nothing different between us and the worst of sinners. Paul says so. Uh, Jesus said so. Our best righteousness is filthy rags. Um, so they forget. Now, uh, just like the flood, it's being held for judgment. So that's beloved number one. Scoffers will come to judgment, and judgment day is coming. So, beloved number two, don't forget that God is patient. Verses 8 and 9, um, 1 Peter chapter 3 Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, we're not to forget this one thing. You know, God is outside of time. He's not constrained to time. Let's quickly go to, to Isaiah 46. Verses 8 through 10. If you don't want to turn there, I'll just read them. It says, Remember this and show yourselves, men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things, former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. Saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. And so, you know, he's not slack concerning his promises, but he's long-suffering towards us, you know, towards mankind, towards human beings, uh, no matter what the uh, background. How many of you um, were, were saved in 1981 when I got saved? How many got saved since then? That was the question. I get more hands, maybe. I don't know. Right? So I was praying, Lord, come quickly, big time. Now, so were a lot of people. And I wanted and was expecting, I was up there in 1988, expecting now's the time. But, you know, what does it say about him? He's not slack. He's not going to just forget about it. He's coming. He is truly coming. But why? Not willing that any would perish. You know, that all would come to repent. That's why his patience. He's, he's long-suffering towards us. You know, we pray today, and I do pray today, Lord, come quickly. You know, Maranatha. But there are many, many souls still to this day. Things are getting bad in this world, and things got bad in, in uh, the days of Noah when judgment came. Things got bad in Sodom and Gomorrah when judgment came. Things are getting bad now, and they may get a lot worse before he comes, but he is going to come. And, uh, you know, after all that's said about false teachers denying the Lord who bought them and these scoffers, and these guys that were accusing Peter of, of uh, you know, believing fables, he still says God's not willing that any of these guys, no human being that is created in the image of God, is, was, uh, it's not his will that any human being would perish. Hell and, eternal, and the eternal lake of fire and the eternal torment, that was created for the devil. That was created for demons. That was not created for human beings made in the image of Almighty God. But they that reject him do end up there because all the things, all the works of this world, all the works of, of uh, this creation will end up being cast into the lake of fire um, save those that have trusted him and been born again. 
you know, uh, men and women only end up there by rejecting the Savior that bought them with his own blood. But he will judge sinful man at the coming day of the Lord. And so Peter, basically in this chapter, cuts to the chase. Throughout the rest of the scriptures, the day of the Lord is expounded on um, Matthew 24, 25, uh, Thessalonians, uh, even little Jude and, and uh, Revelation back in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Joel, we're doing Wednesday nights, and Hosea, there's many, many scriptures that speak of the day of the Lord. It's a period of time. It's not a morning and evening like in Genesis. It's going to be a, a it's a seven-year period at least. There's a little bit leading up to it. Uh, it's called the day of the Lord. It's called the tribulation. It's called Jacob's trouble. Uh, so in verse 10, we have, uh, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Same thing in Matthew 24. The Lord says, be ready. And he's got parables about being ready. Um, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Now I've already used this verse to teach the Big Bang and global warming. Um, Just kidding. (laughs) I was going to say it's right? Well, there it is, right? There's your big bang, and there's global warming. So, hey, you know, I think, we, you know, we can, we can teach the big bang. I don't think it's the one that they think it is, uh, and it's certainly not a theory. But, and I will say this, it's really not a bang. Um, the actual word means more like it's a crackling, sizzling flash, where the, you know, and all I could think of that that uh, Peter might be using this word is the stories from when Rome was burning the temple and, you know, these huge rocks that they had um, built the temple mount with. And, and when you light a big, huge fire, a hot fire, they would put whatever fuel they had to on their tar and whatnot. And miles and miles away, you could hear the thunder when these rocks would split, when they would crack. And so that kind of crackling, that kind of splitting is when the elements, the universe, and we'll get into that and later on in, in this chapter next week. So it's not really a big bang, but the word means more like a crackling, sizzling. In verse 11 through 13, and then we can, can maybe pick up the rest next week. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteous, in which righteousness dwells. And amen to that. We do look for that. But this word manner of person, it's Greek word potapos, from what country, from what tribe, what sort, you know, identify yourself is what he's saying. What manner of person ought you to be? And uh, holy conduct, holy set apart, godliness, be mature. Um, you know, we talk about uh, be perfect as, as he is perfect, as the, the scripture says. You take that word perfect uh, from the Greek, it doesn't mean absolutely flawless. It says mature, being perfect in your, uh, where you're going, being perfect in your, in your, in your uh, maturity and, and, you know, grow up. A little bit. Um, looking for the coming day of God, hastening the coming day of God. After all this, we look for a new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. 
speaking of the thousand-year reign of Jesus or the millennium. And again, there are many more details about this period and others that we'll, we'll look into. And ran out of time a while ago. I, I appreciate your patience. Beloved number one and beloved number two, you know, scoffers are going to come, but judgment is coming. Don't forget that God is patient. Otherwise, none of us would be sitting here right now. None of us would be on this road because of his patience. What a glorious, glorious day that will be when we get to go and be with him. So let's stand up, stretch your legs, and we'll pray. And Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the blood you shed on the cross that provides for us so that we can have faith that you gave us and we can add to our faith you know, virtue and be diligent, Lord, to these things. We just ask that you would continue working in our lives. Pray that you'd go with us as we go out today. Continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit to do those things you've provided for us to do. Thank you for the love of the brethren in this place. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so in verse 10, we have, uh, but the day of the Lord will come. As a thief in the night. Same thing in Matthew 24. The Lord says, be ready. And he's got parables about being ready. Um, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in them will be burned up. Now, I've already used this verse to teach the Big Bang and global warming. Um, Just kidding. (laughs) I was going to say it's... Right? Well, there it is, right? There's your big bang, and there's global warming. So, hey, you know, I think we, you know, we, can, we can teach the big bang. I don't think it's the one that they think it is. Uh, and it's certainly not a theory. But, and I will say this, it's really not a bang. Um, the actual word means more like it's a crackling, sizzling flash. Where the, you know, and all I could think of that, that uh, Peter might be using this word is the stories from when Rome was burning the temple and, you know, these huge rocks that they had um, built the temple mount with. And, and when you light a big, huge fire, a hot fire, they would put whatever fuel they had to on their tar and whatnot. And miles and miles away, you could hear the thunder when these rocks would split, when they would crack. And so that kind of crackling, that kind of splitting is when the elements, the universe, and we'll get into that and later on in, in this chapter next week. So it's not really a big bang, but the word means more like a crackling, sizzling. In verse 11 through 13, and then we can, can maybe pick up the rest next week. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteous, in which righteousness dwells. And amen to that. We do look for that. But this word manner of person, it's Greek word papa, uh, potapos, from what country, from what tribe, one, what sort, you know, identify yourself is what he's saying. What manner of person ought you to be? And uh, holy conduct, holy set apart, godliness, be mature. Um, you know, we talk about uh, be perfect as, as he is perfect, as the, the scripture says. You take that word perfect uh, from the Greek, it doesn't mean absolutely 
flawless. It says mature, being perfect in your, uh, where you're going, being perfect in your, in your, in your uh, maturity and, and, you know, grow up a little bit. Um, looking for the coming day of God, hastening the coming day of God. After all this, we look for a new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. Speaking of the thousand-year reign of Jesus, or the millennium. And again, there are many more details about this period and others that we'll, we'll look into. And ran out of time a while ago. I, I appreciate your patience. Beloved number one and beloved number two. You know, scoffers are going to come, but judgment is coming. Don't forget that God is patient. Otherwise, none of us would be sitting here right now. None of us would be on this road because of his patience. What a glorious, glorious day that will be when we get to go and be with him. So let's stand up, stretch your legs, and we'll pray. And Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the blood you shed on the cross that provides for us so that we can have faith that you gave us and we can add to our faith you know, virtue and be diligent, Lord, to these things. We just ask that you would continue working our lives. Pray that you'd go with us as we go out today. Continue to fill us with your Holy Spirit to do those things you've provided for us to do. Thank you for the love of the brethren in this place. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.